Christ be the glory in the church. Ephesians tells us, Lord, Lord, we pray that whatever is said tonight will bring glory to you. Our worship, our devotion will bring glory to you, Lord. The people of Logos would bring glory to you, Lord. To serve you with all our hearts and our mind and our strength to love you. This is our desire. We give you the praise and all the glory. And someone's got to say amen this evening. God bless you. You may be seated. Nice to have you with us tonight in our final Bible study here in the book of Joshua. We've had a great study up to this point, and we are concluding tonight this incredible book. And uh, before we begin, I, I do want to make a brief announcement. This Friday is an important Friday. We have our Christmas banquet. We all are just excited about that every year. It's just so marvelous. And, and uh, some of you haven't signed up yet. And you always wait for the last minute. But, you know, we have to order food. And, uh, we, you know, it's, it's not easy to do that unless we know more or less how many are coming. And, and so if you're planning to go, can you please sign up tonight? Okay, that's uh, my final order for all of you. you know. But uh, if you can do that, please, we'd love to see you uh, as, as we celebrate the goodness of our God. And so uh, after the service, you can do that. You can bring some friends as well. We are in Joshua chapter 23 and 24. We'll look at the first few verses of Joshua chapter 23, as this is Joshua's final address, interestingly enough. This is his farewell message, and uh, he has a word that he wants to leave behind the people of Israel. And so, it's just amazing what he has to say, and it's so apropos, I believe, uh, these words that he shares with his people. That is, it's amazing. He shared this uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but it's so applicable for today. And you'll see how applicable it is. Absolutely amazing. And it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given rest. Notice the word rest. This was a time of peace. They entered into the promised land and they were at rest. And they were all excited. They were at rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua waxed old and was stricken in age. He's old now. He knows he's, he's about to depart and he has a final word. And Joshua called for all of Israel and for the elders 
and for their heads and for the judges and for the officers and they said unto them I am old I'm an old man and I'm stricken in age and you have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all the nations because of you for the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you notice that God has fought for you behold I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes, for Jordan, all the nations that I have cut off, even unto the great sea westward. And the Lord your God, he shall expel from them from before you and drive them out of your sight, and ye shall possess the land as the Lord your God hath promised unto you. Be therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefrom to the right nor to the left hand, that ye come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them, but cleave. It's the same word we find in Ephesians when a man is to leave his wife and uh, to leave their parents and cleave to his wife. It means to be glued together. So if anybody's planning to get married, you are to be glued to your spouse. That's just for free. But cleave unto the Lord your God as ye have done unto this. For the Lord hath given or driven out from before you great nations and strong, but as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you unto this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. Ah, and for the Lord your God is he that fighteth for you. He hath promised you. Take heed, therefore. By the way, take heed is written throughout the Bible. Jesus uses the word take heed. It's amazing how many times God calls us to take heed. In other words, be aware. In other words, listen carefully to this. This is extremely important. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves that you what? Love the Lord your God. Oh, else... If ye do in any wise go back and cleave, cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages, see where you get the word marriage, with them, and go in unto them, and they to you know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from above before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in the, your sides and thorns in your eyes until ye perish, oh my goodness, from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. We'll stop there. Wow. And so in chapter 24, verse 15, 14, we see Joshua saying, after his farewell message, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, here it is, there's the key word. This is one of the most important words. 
Choose you this day. After all this message I've given you. After all what the Lord has done. After everything you've seen. Everything you've experienced. Everything you've understood. You've got a choice. That still applies today. Choose you this day whom you will serve. You see, brothers and sisters, it's a choice. Every day we have decisions to make. Because you chose to serve the Lord the last 10 years, that's beautiful. But there's always tomorrow. And sometimes we have a false sense of security. And that's why Jesus always says to take heed. That's why Joshua said to take heed. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites whose land ye dwell but as for me and my house. I have, that pl I have a plaque in my house. I've got this scripture written. As for me, we will serve the Lord. Point final, period. We will serve the Lord. No ifs. No, no buts. We're going to serve the Lord no matter what. This is Joshua's final address. Your final words are the most important words. In Joshua, we're going to look at some other things he says as well. But this was extremely important. Brothers and sisters, if you only had one message to give before you die, what would it be? This is Joshua's most important message. He's about 90 years of age, scholars tell us. And he's reflecting. In these last two messages, he's sharing some details with his people. And I can see him as he ponders the experiences that he and Israel had for these last several years together as he led Israel. And he speaks about the wilderness entering into the promised land. The giants they faced. He spoke about the experience they had when Moses sent Joshua and Caleb to search out the land. And the spies were petrified when they saw the giants, but only two stood confident in God. Only two out of the twelve. He's reviewing their experiences. What took place. The 40 years wanderings in the desert. The laps they had to take around Mount Sinai. Reviews how he had to replace Moses. And that was a daunting task. Who can replace Moses? The it was so intimidating. But God assured him that he would be with Joshua as he was with Moses. And finally the day came when they crossed over to the Jordan. The Jordan crossing the river. It was also symbolic in a sense. It represented also the crossing of Israel of the Red Sea. We see a crossing of the Red Sea. A crossing of the Jordan. Speaking of a, a transition. A new day is about to take place. As they cross the Jordan in Joshua chapter 4. God tells them to build memorials 
of what you experienced as you crossed the Jordan? Build memorials of stone. And God said to Joshua, your children will ask you, what is the purpose of these rocks and these altars and these memorials? And you would tell your children how God had how blessed you, how God protected you, how God secured you. You would tell your children what God did for you, Joshua, and for his people. He's remembering what took place. And then he reflects as they marched into Jericho in that monstrosity of a city. Walls so thick they had chariot races on top. The stronghold of strongholds. The people were filled with fear. And God gave them strange directions how to overcome, how to deal with Jericho. And it took faith, but he obeyed. He obeyed. And they walked around Jericho 13 times and God told them to shout. And a praise, a shouting of praise, a shout of praise. Sometimes, friends, our praise have to be shouts of praise, shouts of victory. Let the redeemed say so. And there was a shout of praise. And as they praised and shouted, the walls came down by the power of the Holy Spirit. God told them, I want you to go by day into Jericho, but I don't want you to touch the spoils. Don't touch anything. And he obeyed. And there was a great victory and great celebration. And then they came to Ai. And they were celebrating, but they became self-confident. Ai was so much smaller. They just took a few men to go and defeat the people of Ai, and they were devastated. They lost that battle. They were too cocky and overconfident. And God had to deal with them. God had to deal with their sin, not only the sin in Ai of pride and overconfidence. And then Joshua recalls and tells the people, what about what happened with Achan? Don't forget what took place with Achan as he sinned, as he lusted over, over the fashion and over the money. And, and, and what took place as he tried to do a secret sin. But there's no such thing as a secret sin. Whatever you do in secret will be exposed in the light. And Achan was exposed and Israel suffered greatly because of their sin, of his sin and his family also paid the consequence of his sin. Be sure your sin will find you out. Because they sinned against God, they were defeated. And it caused a lot of pain. But Joshua saw something out of that experience. And the people saw something. And they repented of that. And they continued in their journeys. And now they come across in chapter 9 as they met the Gibeonites. And Joshua was deceived in his travel and his experience. He, he was told, of course, the word of God said, You must not make an alliance with anyone in the land of Canaan. The Jebusites, the Anamites, the Malachi, none whatsoever. And one day Joshua was just minding his own business. And here come this, this group of people that they said they came from afar. 
We're from, have you not heard what happened? We have not heard anything, Joshua. We're from, we're, 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 we're close to Egypt. We, have, we haven't heard anything. Here's our molded bread. Look at our clothes. They're torn. They're worn out. We've come from a far distance. We don't even know what's going on. And can we make an alliance with you, Joshua? We, yeah, we need some support, some help. We're into this land. We will be your servants. We will help you. Can, can, can we make an alliance with you? And, and Joshua, because he's full of compassion and, and full of love and mercy, decided to do that, but he didn't check who they were, and he was terribly deceived by their trickery. And, we, and he explains how devastating that was. And now, shortly after that, the five kings come together. They find out that the Gibeonites have aligned with Joshua. Joshua was deceived and he had to suffer for that. And now because he made a covenant with them, he must keep his word according to the word of God. And now they're in a war. The five kings come together to fight against Joshua and against the Gibeonites because they've aligned together. And now all of a sudden, he never thought that they'd be entering into a war so quickly. But he had to keep his word and he kept his word. And God gave them favor and they defeated the five kings. And then we come to chapter 10, one of the greatest miracles of all, where he wanted to chase these kings in the night and the sun was about to come down. He's been fighting all, all day and the sun was about to set and he prays, God, I want to complete the task. I don't want to let these enemies escape. I can't see them. I need the daylight so I can see where they are and where they're going. And he prayed and the sun stood still and the daylight persisted and he was able to pursue the enemy and he defeated them. And we talked about the importance of complete obedience versus partial obedience. Many of us, as the sun was setting, that's out of our control. We've done our best. But no, Joshua says, the job isn't done yet. The enemy's still running and I've got to deal with it. God has asked me to, to deal with all the enemies. I can't leave them. I must deal with them. He was so hungry and passionate for God, he had the audacity to pray that the sun would stand still so I can complete the task. Oh, what a man of integrity, completing the task. There's no partial obedience here. Not like King Saul. King Saul, when he was caught lying to Samuel, when he, when he took some of the spoils, when God told him not, and he started to blame the people of Israel. He, he didn't take everything. He took some things. And he said, well, I didn't take everything. I just took this because of the people and God had to deal with him. Partial obedience is not obedience. If ye shall be obedient ye shall eat the good of the land, the Bible says. Joshua was obedient. He didn't make excuses. He was completely surrendered. As we continue from chapter 10, we talked about the cities of refuge last week, verse chapter 20. They all had tremendous spiritual significance. Why were the cities of refuge so important? We learned in the law, if anybody killed someone accidentally, 
Normally, what would happen is that there'd be an avenger, and an avenger would be sent from the family who lost a loved one to kill that person. And God had to deal with that. And no longer an eye for an eye. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, if somebody hurt or killed someone accidentally, I'm gonna protect them. And the cities of refuge were erected and given direction by Joshua how to build them. They were all exactly about one mile apart from all these cities. There were six of them, and you can find them, and there were signposts that you can tell. Who's ever searching for this place? You can tell them where to go. And we looked at the importance and the significance of these cities. It, it, it was appointed by God. It, it, it was available, accessible. And there were advertisements. And we looked at that spiritually on how that applies to us. That Jesus is our city of refuge. And they were instructed to make roads that would lead to this place. And they were instructed that if anybody was searching, you would tell them exactly how to go there. And that we are the living advertisement of pointing people to Christ. Appointing people to the city of refuge. For he is our refuge. And as the people of Israel were instructed how to operate and what to do. So are we. What are, we point people to the king of kings to the place of peace and we saw the parallel spiritually whereas the city of refuge was, was a place of protection until the matter was resolved they couldn't go in and hurt anyone that, that applies to us today that we have a place that we can run to for the name of the Lord is a mighty tower and the righteous runneth unto it and are saved my God, he is our city of refuge. And Joshua recalls all of these incidences. We looked at last week when the three tribes wanted to fight, but they wanted to stay on the east side of the Jordan because the land was fertile, it was good. Shepherds wanted to have fertile land for their sheep. We want to go with you, Joshua, but it's better land over here. We... Can we stay here? They did the same thing with Moses in Numbers 32. And Joshua said, yes, yes, of course. But you must come and fight with us first. You must come and fight with us. Then you go back on the east side. And they did that. And everything was great. But there was a problem that arose. Gad, one of the tribes. There was a problem. They were a little bit further away from the rest of the tribes of Israel. And... They decided, what, what are we going to do when it comes to worship? And so they built a replica. A replica of the altar. So that they can worship. And, and when Israel and Joshua heard this, anathema. How can they do? They were forbidden to make any kind of idols. They thought that the three tribes were now involved in idolatry. And Phineas, the priest, Needed to look into it. Now Israel was going to destroy these three tribes because of idolatry. And the word is adamantly against idolatry. How dare they build their own private idol of worship? They thought they were serving false gods. And so they were going to go fight against them. They heard, they heard, they heard about this. And now they're going to deal with them. And Phineas said, no. No, just let me go see what's really going on. And so he goes to see them and he discovered something really important. It wasn't that they were serving another God. 
It wasn't that they were serving other idols. It was the same God. They just wanted a replica so that they can worship just as if they would go to the altar where it was originally located. Their hearts were right. They were not worshiping another God. And all of a sudden, when Phineas dealt with this issue and found out the truth, peace came to Israel when they understood they were not serving other gods. And I shared an illustration yesterday, that is last week, that is so important that I want to share again because I think some of you missed it. A true story of a woman who loved her baby, but she had a great dog, a golden retriever. I'm a dog person, so, you know. And she would leave her child with her dog, not often, but when she had something very important to do, that's how trustworthy this dog was. It wouldn't go out, I mean, not, I don't think you would do this, I, I wouldn't do this, but she did. That's how faithful and how great this dog was. Never had any issues. The dog was incredible. One day she came home. She couldn't believe what she saw. The whole house was like ransacked almost, but it was, everything was disheveled and, Didn't know where the baby was. Sees the dog with blood and coming from its mouth and almost like chewing something. She couldn't believe it. She thought the dog attacked the baby and even consumed the baby. She was in disbelief. She was in horror. She couldn't believe that her faithful dog would do something like that. She was so angry, she took the baseball bat that she had in her room and she beat her dog to death. She was so angry, she couldn't believe it. But as she continued to search for the remains of her child, she beheld another scene close to the bed was the baby, who although lying bare on the floor was safe and under the bed was a snake torn into pieces in what had been a, a fierce battle between the dog and the snake, which was now dead. And then reality set in. She understood, wait a minute. She reacted too quickly. She realized the dog didn't. The dog was protecting the baby from the snake and she was devastated how many times do we assess someone's guilt without having all the facts how many times do we accuse people because you think or you assume but you don't have all the facts you might have 98% of the facts but the 2% might be really what you need you see they were going to kill Israel because they thought they were serving another God until Phineas got all the facts. Joshua's recalling all the experiences as he's giving his farewell message. And I believe these last words 
are worthy of our study today and is really important for the day in which we live in, as we shall see. Farewell messages, the last words are so significant. The Apostle Paul in Acts 20 was gathered around him, the elders of the church of Ephesus, if you remember. And he said something so profound. Maybe he knew something in the spirit that they couldn't see in the flesh. Paul said one thing to them, last words. He said, I love you, Ephesians, but be careful. Be careful, because when I go, take heed. There's that word, take heed again. It's always a warning. It's amazing how many warnings you see, last words from these great men. I wish I had more time to talk about last words from certain men in the Bible. Take heed, because when I leave, there's going to be wolves coming in. Oh, they'll look like sheep, but there's wolves, and they will try to destroy you. And you know what? They did. The church of Ephesus collapsed later. They entertained false doctrine, the Nicolotians, and we learned that in the book of Revelation. Last words are important. And in Joshua 23, verse 2, Joshua is addressing the elders. He's addressing the people. And I need to ask, how would Joshua speak to these people? What would you say? Yes, he gives a, a, a backdrop. He, he shares some of the experiences they had. But what can you say? What can you really say? You're, you're about to die. Yeah, you can talk about your past experiences. But Joshua says nothing. And here's what's great about it. Nothing about himself. You don't see Joshua taking glory for anything he did. He called it, and all he wanted to talk about was what God did. He didn't want to talk about his own, you know, sometimes the last words can, or, or last services, or, you know, it can always you know, somehow be about you. Joshua wasn't concerned about himself. What he did. How great he was. He never spoke about his accomplishments, his achievements. And we talked about that if you want to reflect the light, don't seek the limelight. If you want to reflect the light, my brothers and sisters, never seek the limelight. Joshua never sought the limelight. There was never an agenda. His purpose was to glorify God, period. Any great woman and any great man must have the same desire. That whatever you do, it's for the glory of God. And so Joshua speaks about three different periods. The past, future, and present. And I'm going to give you three R's as we continue in our study tonight. The first thing Joshua wants to encourage them with is he refused the past. We talked about that. Verses 3, 4, and 9. That God fought for you. God fought for you. It wasn't our strength. It was God's strength. Yeah, he asked us to go into battle, but it's still God's power. It's all about God. And we must never forget this, brother and sister, that no matter what happens, that God is the one who fights the battles. It's all about him. It's not our power. It's his power. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. It's always what God can do. It's not about what you can do. Yeah, you can do a lot of things, but that's not the issue. 
Because God is my sufficiency in my insufficiency. God is my ability in my inability. And God is my adequacy in my inadequacy. And what we need to understand, friends, as we are going on in this world, that we might, it is God who gets the glory. It is God who goes before us. It's God who gives us the victory. It's God who gives us the strength. It's God who gives us the ability. It's God who promotes us. It's God who guides us. It's God who steers us. He reviews the past. Don't forget. It's all about what God did. And Joshua forgot in Joshua chapter 5. Do you remember Joshua chapter 5? There's a theophany. He meets an angel. He, he has a sword. He goes up to the angel. He says, hey, who are, uh, hold on. Are you, uh, are you with me? Are you, are you with me here? Are you fighting with us? Who are you? He says, I'm not with you. I'm not against you. I'm not with you. He says, wait, wait, wait. Are, you, are you the angel of the Lord? And you're not with me? That's right, Joshua. I'm not with you because the battle is of the Lord. It's not whether I'm with you. The question is, Joshua, are you with God? Joshua, this is not your battle. You think this war and going into the promised land and doing all that is because of you? You think it's all about you? No, Joshua, this is God's plan. This is God's strategy, Joshua. I'm not here for you. I'm here in the name of the Lord. Are you on his side? Because that's what matters, not whether I'm on your side. Don't ever lose that perspective, brothers and sisters. It's not my side. It's not my church. It's not my ministry. And when pastors fall because they think it's my you know how many leaders fall because they take ownership when they shouldn't? Joshua had to be reminded of that. Joshua, it's not that I have to get on your side, Joshua. I'm on the Lord's side. The battle is the Lord's. So Joshua says we need to remember what God has done, the memorials. Blessed be the name of the Lord and forget not all of his benefits. Don't ever forget what God can do. Don't try to get God on your side. We must get on his side. We must get on his side. Number two, then he reassures them of the future. He reassures them of the future. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, he understands you know, human nature, I believe, in some way. And, and then people always want to know what's going to happen in the future. You know, we're, we're, we're like that. We have a propensity. It's, maybe it's in our DNA. We, we you know, we want to know what's in the future. We, you know, what's going to happen. And so, uh, uh, and Joshua understands that. I think it's normal for people to want to know that. And in verses 9 and 10, 9 and 10 of chapter 23, look what it says here. It says, for the Lord hath driven out from before you great nations and strong, but as for you, no man hath saint or able to stand before you on this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand for the Lord your God. He is he that fighteth for you as he hath promised you. He reassures them of the future. What's he saying? Tells the people the same God that helped us in the past is going to help us in the future. You think he brought us here for nothing? Where he leads, he feeds. Where he gives vision, 
he will also bring provision. What are you fearful for? If he's helped you in the past, why will he not help you in the future? You don't have to worry about your future because God promised that he'd be with us. He will not lie. You think he's a man that he shall lie or the son of man that he needs to repent? If he says he'll be with you, he's with you. God promises our yes and amen. Friends, the only thing God promises us that I see that, 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 that you can bank on without any doubt is that God said, I will not forsake you. That's a promise. That applies today. That gives me hope for the future. Then Joshua wants them to rest in the present. He reassures them of the future, remembers the past, and now Joshua says, I want you to rest in the present. What do I mean? See, God, serve, listen, his servants may change, but his work goes on. Moses died. Joshua replaced him. It was difficult. It was a time of transition. And there could have been a lot of fear in the heart of Joshua. But Joshua learns that nobody is indispensable. God told Joshua and Joshua told the people, as I was with Moses, Joshua, I'm going to be with you. You let the people know that I'm going to be with you. That will give you peace for the present and for the future. Just put your confidence in me in a time of transition. You don't always have to operate with every T being crossed and every I being done. That's the flesh. Yeah, I know you want to know, but are you, there are t things that you will just will not know and there are things that God will keep it from you so that you can trust in Him. That you can place your confidence in Him and not in always knowing something and assessing something and always have everything calculated because if you have everything calculated, then... Why do you need faith? And that's hard for people that are heady. That's hard for people that are academics. That's hard for people that are pragmatics. Because people who are like that, they just have to make sure that everything fits and the eyes are... And, 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 and with God, not every I is dotted. <laughs> I'm sorry. Not every T is crossed. God's ways are not our ways. And when God operates, I'll tell you something, eight times out of ten, it doesn't make sense. So when you're trying to dot your eye and God's not making sense, it's not going to work. Faith! Faith. The only thing he's really promised me is that he's going to be with me. I've got to trust that. What Joshua said, we must focus on him day by day. And that's why Joshua was instructed to build the ark and whatnot, to have the ark about 3,000 feet ahead of him. Do you remember that? As Israel was marching into the promised land. Do you remember? The ark was about 3,000 feet ahead of them. Why, why? So they would see the ark as they're going into the promised land. There's the ark. Keep your eyes on the ark. Keep your eyes on him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God day by day. Give us this day our daily bread. I'm going to walk each day with God. I got my eyes on him. 
him. That's all that matters. Day by day, I'm going to pick up the manna. I'm keeping my eyes on him. The ark is before me. The ark must always be before your eyes. Keep your eyes on Jesus in times of transition, in times of change. That's what needs to be constant. That's what I got to do day by day. Sometimes we're so worried about the future, we forget about what we need to do today. Jesus says, occupy each day. Don't take thought for tomorrow, Jesus said. And for an academic, that's hard. Because we're always strategizing and trying to fix things. and trying. But you see, when it comes to the things of God, God says, listen, trust me. Doesn't mean you don't plan. Doesn't mean you don't try to work things. No, no, no. But what it means is you got to trust God for your future. You got to trust God in what he's doing. Because what he's doing is bigger than you. Focus on him. Now, Joshua was afraid that since, now watch this now, there were no more wars to fight that they might relax and get a little bit lazy. What did we just read in Joshua 23? The first few verses? Look what it says. Found out. And it came to pass after that the Lord had given them rest unto Israel from all their enemies around them. Now friends, I'm going to say something that might say what? When you're at rest and you're at peace and you're in prosperity, that could be a very dangerous, dangerous place. You know how many people have fallen in prosperity? You know how many people have gone astray in a time of rest? You know how many people have lost the sight of God in the time of blessing? Oh, just stay with me. Just stay with me. We're going to go a little deeper tonight. This was a time of rest. They entered in. God had brought them in as he promised. Their enemies have been subdued. And you can get spiritually sloppy. When you would have peace and prosperity and there's no more fighting, you may not depend on God as much. Was that not the problem with King Uzziah? Absolutely. In 2 Chronicles chapter 26 and 2 Chronicles chapter 16, Asa had the same problem. Both kings were in a time of peace and prosperity. God had blessed them immensely. God had defeated their enemies. They were trusting in God. Ah, but alas, alas, peace had come. The enemies were subdued. And Asa got a little cocky. And King Uzziah got a little cocky. And now their fame had spread. Israel was growing. Things were happening. And they got a little cocky. Look what we have done. Look at the prosperity. They began to grow. Prosperity to the left. Prosperity to the right. And King Uzziah got so cocky, he thought it was because of him. You see, sometimes you can take credit for what God is doing. Sometimes you can take credit. You think it's about you and what you can do. And the Bible says in the 15th verse of the 26th chapter of Second Chronicles, and God, God, see, he was marvelously helped. 
until he became strong and God lifted his hand from Uzziah. He was marvelously helped till he became strong, till he became proud, till he became arrogant, till he thought it was that he was the cat's meow, till he thought that I can do it on my own strength. He thought somehow it was because of his ability. He, he, he forgot that it was by God's grace. He forgot that God gave him. He forgot that God helped him. You see, that's what can happen in a time of prosperity. I believe we can handle poverty better than we can handle prosperity. I honestly do. We're going to find out later that's why Israel fell. And so in verse 6, Joshua says three things he wants to focus in on on his farewell message. Verse number 6. Be ye therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left, not to serve any other gods, to cleave to the Lord, verse 8. And take heed, verse 11, therefore that ye love your Lord. What a message. I'm going to give you three W's as we continue this very important word. Number one, verse six, Joshua encourages them to focus on the word. Verse seven, Joshua encourages them to focus in on worship. Verse eight to 16, Joshua then encouraged them to have a proper understanding and not to focus on the things of this world word worship world let's look at the word verse number six his first point he says here be courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the logos anybody who knows me and you've been here for a little while this is the passion of Logos. I believe the word of God that we have ascribed to this church is what we stand on. When I came to this church in 2016, 2016, I told the board, I said, board, if you want me to be your pastor, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to focus on the word of God and on prayer. Is that it? They didn't say that. I said, that's what I'm going to be doing. It's not exciting. Yeah. You're not a philanthropist? No. You're not a, some kind, you know, you're not going to deal with something political maybe? No, no. I'm going to focus on the word and prayer. I'm in good company because that's exactly what the apostles did in Acts chapter 6. Hey, would you, we need some help, Mr. Apostle. You know, we got some problems with the Hellenistic Greeks and the, the Orphans, and we need some help to serve tables. Well, that's an important need. You can get the deacons to do that. We're going to devote ourselves to what? To the word, the prayer. The church has two pillars. That's all. They got two major pillars, the word and prayer. 
Everything else follows, but those are the two pillars of the church. Joshua says, make sure you observe what is written in the word of God. Just like it said in Joshua chapter 1 verses 1 to 8. He says the same thing right in the beginning. Be courageous that thou mayest do according to all the law that Moses. Let's go to it. Joshua chapter 1. Look, Joshua, he's consistent. He's saying the same thing. In Joshua chapter 1, look what it says in verse uh, uh, Number six, be strong, be courageous, divide the inheritance of the land, I swear to your fathers, only be thou strong and courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded. Turn not from the right to the left. Joshua is saying the same thing as he started his ministry and as he's finishing his ministry. Joshua was consistent in the word of God. Not like today. Not like today. Believe God's word. Obey God's word. He's saying the same thing that he gave them as he entered into the promised land and the same words, whether it was a time of peace as they were now, Joshua 23, or in a time of war. In Joshua chapter 1, peace or war, it didn't matter. Observe the word of the Lord. It doesn't matter. Peace or war, it doesn't matter. Focus in his word. What needs to be constant in our lives, whether we are at war or peace, it doesn't matter. The one thing that never changes is the word of God. God is not only our lawyer in time of trouble, my friends. He's my everything. If you are going to survive in this generation, especially in the year 2024, we must never stray from the word of God. That's why Job said, I esteem your word more than my necessary food. i rather have your word than the food. I, Jeremiah said the same thing. John said the same thing in the book of Revelation. The Lord told him to consume the word and he ate the word and it was bitter and sweet but he ate it. Speaks of meditating. It speaks of ingesting. It speaks of knowing the word. And that's why Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2.15 he says hold on to the word to the traditions of the word. Hold on to what you've learned. Hold on to the word. Hold on. Hold on. Hold. Don't, don't lose sight of the word. Today friends we're losing sight of the word. Today the word's being changed by so called ministers. So called departments of head. Religious institutions. They don't like what's going on today. They don't want to offend people. They want to make Christianity inclusive so they don't want to offend anybody. So they're removing words like sin and repentance and all things, the blood. They don't want anything like that. So they can attract people. They're changing the word. They're preaching what they want to preach. They're preaching what they don't. They, they disregard the word. They're changing everything. Making sin adaptable to accept a false doctrine. So instead of changing our ways, we're changing the words. Instead of calling it pedophilia, for instance, we call it minor attracted people. Hmm. Instead of sexual exploitation, let's call it adult 
entertainment. Instead of adultery, we'll call it, you know, swinging or having an open marriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of mental illness, let's call it gender dysphoria. That's what we're calling it today. Instead of gender mutilation, let's call it gender transitioning. Non-binary. Really? You're non-binary? So there's no male or female. I, I'm neither. Really? Okay. And the list goes on and on. Instead of calling it fornication, oh, just, just intimacy. Intimacy. Really. And the list goes on and on, friends. The word is being changed today. Truth is being changed today to adapt to the world, to adapt to wokeism, to adapt to our culture and what's going on today. Today, the Bible is at the lowest level of understanding since the early 60s. People are ignorant of the Bible and even in church, you'd be shocked how many people in church who've been going to church for 20 years, they don't know the Bible. Well, how do you know, Pastor? How do I know? Trust me, after 35 years in ministry, I know. I know. Some people just come to church on a Sunday, and that's the only time they're going to hear the word. You think that's going to get you through? If I'm trying to get in shape spiritually and all I do is work out once a week for 20 minutes, do you think I'm going to get in shape? Absolutely not. So if that's true in the physical realm, can that also not be true in the spiritual realm? If you do not know the word of God, brothers and sisters, you will never truly grow. Impossible. If you don't know the word of God, you will be deceived by any false doctrine might come your way like we see today. Do you know how many people are going astray today because they do not know the word of God? Yeah, Pentecostal people, Baptist people. Going astray for some false teaching, some, some teaching that is so erroneous, yet because many do not know they're easily seduced because it sounds so good and many times how many times have you heard me say Charles Spurgeon when he said what is discernment not necessarily knowing what's right or wrong that could be discernment but that's not necessarily what discernment is having the ability to know what is almost right and deception comes as an almost right scenario Oh, that sounds pretty good. Oh, it's, but it's almost right. But it's not. You're being deceived because you don't know the word of God. That's why. Today we have people saying, oh, come to my church. And Jesus rebuked. The money changers, we have turned the church today in many cases into a marketplace. People are inviting people to come to our church. Because, because we have the best programs. Man, 
We, we, we have a great gymnasium. We've got a wonderful lounge. We've got a great cafeteria. We've got wonderful music. We've got lights and our seats are padded. And we've got a great array of this and a flashing light. We've got, even got a fog system. Sometimes we get a little excited and we put fog on the stage so it can create atmosphere. Well, that's really exciting. We've got all that going on. So come to our church. But brothers and sisters, we need to say, come to our church because we have God, his spirit moving, his presence, his word is being preached. I don't care about your gym or your lounge or your decorations or how much fog system. I, I don't, I, is his presence there? Is there healing there? Is the word of God there? No, 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 but we've turned his house into a marketplace. But Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. So Joshua says, I'm dying, but don't forget to focus on God's word. Number two, verse 11. Then he says in chapter 23, verse 11, watch this now. He says, then take heed therefore that yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Oh, the word and then the worship. What is love? Love is an act of devotion. Love, worship, true worship is saying, I love you, Jesus. True worship is what the prostitute did in Luke 7. As she threw herself at the feet of Jesus and wept and washed his feet with her tears and, and dried his feet with her hair and adored him and loved him in purity. Worship is, 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 is falling prostrate before the Lord saying, not my will, but thy will be done. Worship is expressing your love for him. Your devotion to Him. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your strength, your mind, and soul. That's what worship is. Joshua reminds them, observe to do the law, focus on His Word, and then don't forget to worship, to love God. Never forget to love. Why? Because all around you there are other gods. There are other voices. Joshua says the only way you will not succumb to these rival gods is to love the Lord your God. Your love is the greatest motivator. Your love is the greatest power. Your love will say no to those gods and yes to the true God. The reason why people go a-whoring on other gods is because they don't love God. Because if you truly love God, why would you want to Seek other gods. I've got my wife here. I have absolutely no desire in any way, shape, and form for another woman. Not even an iota. Why? Because I love her. End of story. If you love God, you have no desire for another god. What for? I love my God with all my heart, my soul, my strength. Well, the devil will come to you and tempt you. 
If you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these wonderful things. What did Jesus say? It is written. Thou shalt not. When you love the Lord, the Bible becomes your strength. You love the Lord. All those things that the devil tempts you with, oh, they might be temptation, but you don't succumb to them. Because your love is the greatest motivator. Love is what propels you into that commitment. <clears throat> That's why it's the greatest commandment. To love the Lord your God. If you love the Lord your God, you're going to walk down that straight and narrow path. Love is a better master than duty. You can write that down. Love is a better master than duty. What's my duty and my responsibility? Yes, of course it is. But love is a greater power. Love is what propels me. Not just my obligation. Love. That's what keeps me going. And we see this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Moses gives the this, this same thing. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, look at verse number 4. Moses says the same thing. The same thing Joshua said is what Moses said. When you look at chapter 6 verse 4 and 5. Hear ye, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, all your soul. This is what Jesus quotes. Excuse me. So we need to ask ourselves, do we love God? If we love God, it will be seen how you live. It will be seen how you observe His Word. And it will be seen how you worship Him. How you worship Him. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Oh, yeah, yeah. yes, Jesus, I, I love you. Yeah, I love you. Well, why not? No, 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 P Peter, do you, do you love me? Well, yeah, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Why are you asking me this? Of course I love you. Really? Okay. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love God, you want others to know about God. If you love God, you're going to bring his word to the people. If you love God, you're going to do your best to share his love with others. It's not always going to be about me. Like that survey says, they surveyed Christians, what is the purpose of the church? 84% of them said to meet my needs. If that's the purpose of the church, we've lost it. Yeah, it's a purpose, not the purpose. The purpose of the church, my friend, is that we need to make disciples of men so they can go out and make disciples of other men that they meet. That's the purpose of the church.
feed my sheep. If you don't love God, you'll never be able to live a separated life. You'll never be able to live a holy life. This was the problem with the church of Ephesus. They had great works. Ephesus, in the book of Revelation, the second chapter, Jesus sees their works, and he sees the church of Ephesus. Oh, they were great works. They had so many great works going on. They did this. They did that. They, did, they were everywhere. I mean, their, even their reputation was abroad. It was amazing church, but Jesus had a problem. He said, there's only one. It's a huge problem. It doesn't, look, because sometimes works are disguised. Sometimes activity is a disguise for something that's lacking inside. Sometimes being busy is a disguise of some need. Sometimes you're always active. You're always because you're trying to hide something. Sometimes you're always busy because you're not at rest with yourself. So you got to always be doing something because there's a lack of peace. Something ain't right. So there's a lot of action. There's a lot of things. But, but something's wrong. He said, he said to, he said, you have left your first love. What? But Jesus, I'm doing this, I'm going here, I'm doing... Now, do you want to just take that door just open it, just go back and forth for a little bit? Take that door and just open it. And just go back and forth. Now, notice what she's doing. The door's opening back and forth, back and forth. See, there's a lot of movement, but it's going nowhere. There's a lot of Christians, they have a lot of movement, but they're going nowhere. Movement and action doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing what is right. See, the church of Ephesus had a lot of movement. But they lost their purpose. They lost their why. Why are you doing it? My friends, love is the great, the key to everything. You left your first love. Psalm 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of sinners. Why? Because his delight is in the law of the Lord. He doesn't walk with scornful. He doesn't sit with the sinners. Because he loves God. His delight is in the law. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. He's on his word. He's worshiping. He's in his word. He's worshiping. And when you're in your word and you're worshiping him and, and you're loving him, I tell you, that propels me to live holy. That propels me to take a stand. That propels me to walk in righteousness as I'm meditating on God's word and as I'm worshiping and I'm growing it's propelling me to live a life that's set apart for him we can't live that life if there's no love because you won't have a motivation the motivation will cease love is the greatest motivator if you love God that will motivate you to take a stand you're not obligated you're not forced that's what religion does this is not about religion So, if you truly love God, you will not go astray. You want to please Him. Number three, not only the word, the worship, but then Joshua talks about having a proper perspective when it comes to the things of this world. Things of this world. The things of this world. Verse 7, 12, and 16. 
verse 7, 12, and 16. Look what Joshua says. He says here that ye come not among these nations that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them or serve them. So take heed. Take heed, verse 12. Be careful who you marry. Be careful how you deal with the things of this world, with the people of this world. Verse 16. Verse 16. When ye have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which hath commanded you, ye have gone and served other gods and bowed yourself to them. Then shall the anger of the Lord come again. You've, you've, you've bowed to the things of this world. The gods of this world. The world. Joshua says, when I'm gone and I die, you better please you have a, your head on straight because all around you in the land, you have different beliefs, different gods. They're all trying to get your influence. They're all trying to bring you and sway you and dissuade you. The enemy is trying to attack you and get you off course. That's why the Apostle Paul had said in Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has cut you off from running this race? You started in the spirit, now you end up in the flesh? Who hath bewitched you? Who hath bewitched you? It started so well. Be careful. You'll be tempted to marry other women, Joshua says. Then you'll have to deal with their gods like King Solomon did. That's why he fell. Be careful, take heed, be careful, take heed. He's saying a believer is not to marry a pagan woman. Be careful. Do not be unequally yoked. I hear Paul saying this today. I hear the Bible saying this today. You see what Joshua said then applies to me today. It applies to you. It's the same thing. Take heed. Be careful. The devil's a sly one. He can deceive you very easily. Don't think you're so strong. I was doing a Bible study the other day. I met this girl. She claims to be a Christian. It really bothered me. Does her own thing. Had the nerve to say in this class, you know, I, I, I know who I am in God, and I know God, and he loves me, and, you know, I'm, I love God, and, you know, I'm not worried. I can go to these places. It won't affect me. Has no problem going to clubs. No problem putting herself, you know, in, in, in compromising positions on the Internet. No problem. Oh, really? You are playing with fire. You're not taking heed. You are proud, and you are arrogant. You're not, you think you can fight the devil in your own strength? Are you kidding me? I can't stand when people make my oh, the devil. He's not. Let me tell you something. The devil is mighty. God's the almighty, but the devil is a force. You don't mock it. You don't take it like some joke. This is a serious matter. You think you're smarter. The devil's been around a lot longer than you and me. Don't play games. Abstain from evil appearance, Paul says. Flee from idolatry. Flee from immorality. This person has the audacity. I'm strong. You're not strong. You're foolish. You're arrogant. I'm telling you, she's going to fall. I'm just telling you now, and she will, if she doesn't change her mindset. You know the story, I've shared this many times. This pastor who used to be a drunk, an alcoholic, God saved him, came out of Skid Row. Became a pastor. One day he had a connection with one of his buddies and 
He told his board, you know, I've got this desire to go back just to minister to my friends on Skid Row. I said, Pastor, don't do that. What are you doing? Oh, yeah, I just feel like, you, you, why would you want to go back there? Oh, I'm strong. I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm okay. What do you mean? I've been delivered. Pastor, please. He went there to minister. He never came back. He stayed there. Left the ministry. Don't play games, my friend. Don't think you're so strong. That's why Paul said, take heed lest ye fall. Take heed lest ye fall. I beat my body into subjection, Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I beat my body to... In other words, I'm dying to this world. I'm discipline. I'm focusing. I'm working out myself. I'm just doing what I can to serve God and to train myself unto godliness. Lest I be disqualified, he said. Listen, my friends... Why do you think the Bible says, be ye separate? Oh, pastor, you're preaching legalism again. I've heard it. You know how many people call me legalist? Oh, you're a legalist. Yeah, 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 yeah. You preach holiness and you're, that, that's legalism. I'm not in this, I'm not, a, I'm not in religion. That's religion. Really? Okay. Last time I checked the Bible, Jesus said there's two paths, the broad and the narrow. And uh, you better walk on the narrow, he says, because only a few will find it. Few. You want to call it religion? Go ahead. In the ocean, there are many creatures that swim in the water. There are fish. There are also whales. There's a huge difference between a whale and a fish. A whale is a mammal. A fish is a fish. A fish has gills. A whale has lungs, like you and I. Now, if we ever go swimming, you better make sure that when you're swimming, you keep your head above the water. And if you don't, you can maybe do that for about a minute. But be careful because, because <laughs> you can't breathe in the water. Why? Because you have lungs. Ah, great. So a whale has lungs. Fish have gills. Fish can stay in the water all their lives. They don't need to breathe air like a mammal. But a whale has to go up every 20 minutes, some 40 minutes. And a sperm whale is amazing. It can go up after every six hours. It's amazing. But they still have to get up out of the water to breathe air. Otherwise what? They die. And so why are you saying this, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked because you see, you see we are living in this world with many different creatures. We're living in this world with fish, with whales, with seals, different animals. And Paul says, wait a minute. You might be living in this world, but you see, you, Mr. Christian, you need to be separate. You're living in this world, but you're not of this world. The whale is living in the world of the fish, but it's not of the world because that mammal has to get up and breathe every so often. Otherwise, it's going to die. Brothers and sisters, if you don't get up and breathe some air while you're living in the water, you will die. If you think you can live like a fish and survive, you will die. The world will absorb you and consume you. You, my friend, need to get up out from among them and begin to breathe and to set your affections on things above. Colossians chapter 3. Oh, let me go further with it. 
And so Joshua says, as you go into this land of prosperity, do not forget. I'm leaving this earth. I'm, a, I'm an old man. I'm dying. Don't forget these three W's, Joshua is saying. Remember the word. Focus on the word. Number two, love the Lord. Worship him with all your heart. I'm seeking those who worship me in spirit of truth. And number three, be careful how you live in the world. Don't marry pagan women. Don't associate yourself with other gods. Be careful. Don't think you're so strong. Don't, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. This applies to you and me today, my friends. We also need to be careful. Jesus calls us the salt of the earth. We're called to make a difference. We're called to swim in the ocean with the fish, but we are not fish. We're called to be lights, to be an example. And the travesty of it all is that we're living in a day where Christianity is mocked. I've heard it, you know, there's a mockery. Leadership. It's fading. Conviction is fading. Reality and the spiritual principles that we once adhered to are no longer practiced in many circles. The Word of God has become diluted. The power of the Holy Spirit is almost null. People aren't getting saved anymore. Very few baptisms. The churches have entered to a state of malaise and mediocrity. Who are we to blame? Greatest example of Christianity are Christians. But the worst example of Christianity are also Christians. My friends, take heed, Joshua said. Paul says, take heed. Jesus says, take heed that ye be not deceived. For many will come in the last days, false prophets deceiving many. Take heed. Be light. people would see Jesus in you that you would make a difference in this world. If somebody plays Beethoven and they play it terribly, do they blame Beethoven? No. If somebody played a piece from Mozart but it was played terribly, do you blame Mozart? No, you blame the person who's playing the music. If someone is not living right for Jesus, do you Blame Jesus. My friends, be a light in this world. My friends, if you are a Christian, be a Christian. Take a stand for righteousness. Don't compromise your lives. Don't let the devil deceive you. Keep going to the end. Keep serving God with all your heart. Keep trusting Him in peace, prosperity, or in a time of war and perplexity. And so Joshua is giving this address, and he wants to be clear because the most dangerous time is not in the time of challenge and difficulty, but in the time of peace and prosperity. And so he says in chapter 24, choose you this day. Choose you this day. 
whom you're going to serve. Take heed. Take heed. Choose you this day. Take heed. And this is exactly what Moses said also. Be careful in a time of prosperity. When I bring you into the land and you have plenty to eat. And you have houses that you haven't built. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Take heed. Be careful that you do not forget that I have done this for you. Don't forget! The time of prosperity, don't forget. Be careful. For the very things that we seek will be the things that might destroy you. Be careful. Choose you this day. And having said all this, Joshua sensed the seeds of Israel's destruction was in a time of peace, you see. And the truth is, my friends, watch this. This prediction, if you will, was fulfilled in just one generation. In Judges chapter 2, look what happens. One generation after he preached this message. Joshua, in Judges chapter 2, look what happens. Josh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 10, look what goes on. And the angel of the Lord came up from Gil to Bam, and I made you to go up out of Egypt. Verse 2, and ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of the land, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore also I said unto you, I will not drive them out before you. They shall be as thorns in your sides. I said this to you when Joshua, Joshua told you this. Oh Israel, Joshua told you this, but you didn't listen to his word. And it came to pass, verse 4, that the angel of the Lord spake these words unto the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and they wept. And they called the name of that place, Bokim, which they sacrificed unto the Lord. They fell. They fell. They kept falling. They didn't adhere to the word. Just one generation. And I want to leave you these words. My Logos family, my friends, as we approach 2024, as we continue to approach during these times of perplexity, times of insecurity, times of transition, times that we have not seen since the beginning, times of Hamas, Genesis chapter 6 for 11, a time of violence when Jesus said in Luke 17, in the last days will be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. The days of Noah, Genesis 6 11 says it will be a time of violence. In the days of Noah, it was a time of violence. The Hebrew word is Hamas. Violence, debauchery. Luke 17, Jesus will be like the days of Lot. What were the days of Lot? Sexual depravity, debauchery, and barbarity. We see that today. Non-binary. Now there's 15, 20 different sexes. Actually, they say there's more. Now you identify as a cat, you're a cat. We're losing our minds. So Joshua had a word then, and he has a word today. Focus. Focus on God's word, O people of Logos. Focus on worshiping God, O people of Logos. And focus on separating yourself from the things of this world so that God be glorified in you. 
This is the word that Joshua gives. And this is the word I wanted to share with you on December 31st, to be honest with you. But I want to share it tonight. The word, worship, the world. Don't ever forget these three W's, friends. I don't care who, what, those three things must continue to be part of your life. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand together.